I'm reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. And Joseph and Mary take Jesus up. He's been already born in this passage to the temple in Jerusalem um, to fulfill some of their obligations. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to call the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Well, can I just um, say a big thank you to Rupert for inviting me? It's, it's been a bit strange because I haven't preached for quite a long time. Well, I, I was actually preaching last week, so you get out of the habit of preaching. And, uh, but it's great to come and be with you today. And um, we're going to just think for a few minutes about this story of Simeon uh, in Luke 2. Let's just pray before we start. Lord, thank you so much that you're with us. And you're with us through the, these times, these strange times that we're living in. And I'd like to just pray that you will help us now to look up and to see you and to remember who you are and who we are in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, preparing for Christmas, uh, we have... Um, one of the things that we have to do is get lots of presents for grandchildren. I don't know whether you've heard, maybe you have heard, we've actually got 15 grandchildren now, so it's quite busy getting presents for them all. And I did come across this delightful little story of a a boy. He was a little boy, and he was kneeling down with his mum and his grandmother, uh, and he was saying his prayers with them, and he was He started by softly saying, Dear God, please bless Mummy and Daddy and all the family and please give me a good night's sleep. And then suddenly he looked up and he shouted, And don't forget to give me a bike for Christmas. There's no need to shout like that, 
said his mother. God isn't deaf. No, said the little boy, but grandma is. (laughs) And uh, when you get older, (laughs) you can relate to that. Now, if we go on to the next slide. Um, When I was a curate in in London many years ago, the vicar, he's, he's with the Lord now, he's a very famous, wonderful preacher. I remember him once in the middle of a a sermon. He gave an illustration which I've never forgotten. And he tells this story of a young man. Uh, He was in America. He was walking along the street. And uh, as he was walking along the street, he noticed a $5 bill on the street. So he bent down and he picked it up. And from then on, he never lifted his eyes off the street. His eyes were continually on the pavement or the sidewalk, as they call it in America. And over the course of the coming years, he collected 29,516 buttons, 54,172 pins, 12 cents, a bent back, and a miserly disposition. Now just think of what he lost because his eyes were always down. He never saw the radiance of the sun, He never saw the sheen of the stars. He never saw the smile on the face of his friends. And he didn't see the the blossom in springtime. Why? Because his eyes were in the gutter. He was looking down when he should have been looking up. Now, that's really what I want. That's really basically the message I want to say to you today. We've had a lot this year which has been difficult and uh, which has preoccupied us. There's been COVID-19 and then the new strain. There's been Brexit, that's still going on. There's been climate change. And for many, many people, and many people that we know, it's been a long and discouraging struggle, a difficult year, somebody said to me. And I think it's really important as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we learn to look up and remember who we are and where we're going, and also, most importantly of all, who Jesus Christ is. And that's really just what I want to talk about. So I was going to say if you've got your Bibles, but none of you have got Bibles. So we're going to look at this little story in Luke 2. It's maybe on your phone Uh, Luke 2, it's the story of Simeon, and uh, we've actually got a little grandson called Simeon. He's called Simeon Simpson, so they call him Simi, Simi Simpson, which is quite unusual. Um, And I want us to go on to the next slide, and here's a picture we don't know. There's lots we don't know about Simeon. We don't know how old he was. I did a bit of a Google search to find out how old he was, because we're not told by Luke. Uh, the tradition is that he was very, very old. Uh, We don't know what he did. Again, the tradition is that he was one of the priests in the temple and and that it was uh, his time to be on duty. So we don't know that. But Luke does tell us a number of interesting things about him in this story. We're, We're told, first of all, that he was righteous and devout. So in other words, he loved God He fulfilled his duty to God, and he fulfilled his duty to his fellow 
human beings. He was truly righteous. We're also told about him that he was waiting expectantly for the consolation of Israel. Now, that's a really interesting phrase. What I discovered was that many of the descriptions that the prophets used of the Messiah when he was going to come was of the consoler, the comforter, when the comforter comes. And uh, here is Simeon. He's waiting for the comfort of Israel, the one who would console them. So he was looking up, waiting for him. And we're also told by Luke that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Again, that's an interesting phrase. It's often used of the Holy Spirit coming upon the prophets. So as he took the little baby up into his arms, he was prophesying under the power of the Holy Spirit about who this baby was going to become. And we're also told that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And then, amazingly, guided by the Holy Spirit, as he walks into the temple precincts, there is Mary and Joseph with the baby, and they meet. Do you know, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and the Holy Spirit guides us to people. Do you believe? I really believe that. We're living in a village now. We, I've, we've always lived in big cities. Uh, and one of the things that I am so conscious of is the way the Holy Spirit guides you into just the right people at the right time. So here he is guiding Simeon into this amazing encounter with Mary and Joseph. And he picks the baby up and then he starts to speak about him. And he bursts into praise. He praises God. Now, I want us just to notice what he praises God for. And the first thing, next slide, is that he fulfills... Jesus Christ is seen as the fulfillment of God's promise. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. So he's ready to die. He can die in peace. He has suddenly seen the Messiah. And Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. And it goes right back to Genesis, where God promises that he said, speaking of the seed of, of woman, he will crush your head. He's speaking of Satan, and you will bruise his heel. And these promises go on through the scriptures. Abraham, through your seed, the whole earth is going to be blessed. Through David, he would reign on David's throne. And he's also the suffering servant in Isaiah. And so we see Simeon looking up and seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise. So in the Old Testament, it was expectation. In the New Testament, it was fulfillment. Now, the second thing that, uh, if we can go on to the next slide, the second thing that I notice is that he, he sees in Jesus the salvation of God. Now, look at verses 30 and... Th well, no, you, sorry, you can't do that. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people. So he sees in this baby the wonderful salvation of God. He sees under the Holy Spirit's anointing that this baby 
through this baby, God was going to bring salvation to sinful humanity. Now, we don't tend to talk about sin and salvation today. They're not words that we we use. But sin is basically self-centeredness. It's assertiveness. It's when we assert ourselves against the love of God and the authority of God. And salvation is basically freedom. Jesus comes into the world to set us free. Now, I don't know how many of you will remember this, but a few years ago, I I led a mission here. Were some of you around then? And I brought a guy, a, a chap who'd just become a Christian, called Warren Furman, and he was a member of the Gladiators. Do you remember him? And I remember we had this hysterical moment. He'd never been on a mission. And I said, would you come on a mission? I'm going to this church in the middle of London. So the first mission he came on was to Chester Square, and he thought that all churches were like Chester Square. The following week, we were in Barrow-in-Furness. It was a bit of a shock to him. (laughs) But I'll never forget, on the Sunday morning, we had this guest service. A lot of people came. They brought their friends. And Charles said to me, well, what shall I say to Warren? And I said, well, just ask him what his life was like before he became a Christian. So he turned to Warren. He said, what was your life like before you became a Christian? And Warren stood up and said, absolutely fantastic. (laughs) Which is not what he was meant to say, do you remember? Anyway, he's been on many, many missions with me since, probably about 25. And here he is just speaking recently. Uh, If we can have the the clip, I think you'll find this really interesting. 2013, I think it was about six o'clock in the evening. My phone rings. I can hear my mum screaming and crying hysterically. And then uh, a man I don't know, he's on the other end of that phone, and he said, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a paramedic. There's no easy way to tell you this, sir, but it would appear that your father has taken his own life. He was uh, a hard-working man. He had everything going for him, really. He was fit uh, as a fiddle, lots of grandkids. I thought he had another 30 years in him, at least. And uh, the big question for me was, why? Why? It makes no sense. My dad was work hard, play hard, strong. We're trying to stay young, trying to stay fit, trying to be self-sufficient. And our parents are our biggest influence. So I was like, I want to be big and fit and strong like that. I was looking for the bigger answers. I was like, Dad, how long, how many years do we have to graft and work and prove ourselves, this striving, this fear? And so I want to be rich, I want to be famous, I want to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I want to be like Sylvester Stallone, I want to make tons of money, I want to put my faith in my bank balance. And uh, so as I built this physique and I went out into the world to be a celebrity in a celebrity culture, um, the world said, you're a success. And I thought, well, I've made it then, freedom. But it didn't bring freedom, there's no freedom. Actually, there's more fear. Me and, and Dad were both in the dark. The blind was leading the blind. We were going into a big hole because through his life I saw that hard work didn't lead to freedom, but I also saw that the celebrity culture and fame uh, is also um, a lie. Self-sufficiency is a lie. I had a more fearful life on the television than I did before I was on the television because I had to constantly prove myself. I remember Dad, Dad sitting me down and he asked me, why do you think we drink? I said, I don't know, Dad. And he started telling me it was about pressures and it was about this and it was about that. And uh, looking back, I didn't realise what Dad was up against. I did believe he had an alcohol problem because it had a a negative impact on his life. 
um, but he was highly functioning. So I was like, I'd heard sayings like, it's only a problem if it's a problem. But I didn't understand the cumulative effect of it. I just thought, you know, life's about having fun. And so as dad would try and escape his problems with mum as they would drink and carry on, I started to realise this is where he's losing hope. And uh, if you have no hope and no help, where do you go from there? Where do you go? You know, looking back, I realised that Dad thought that this was a solution to his problems. But it's never the answer because you're not alone and there's hope. Six years ago, somebody explained the gospel to me. They explained that I was separated from God and that we don't have to live a life of fear like my dad did. We don't have to live under the curse of death. That's not God's plan for our life. And only then did my life start to make sense and my life was transformed and my family was transformed and my mind was transformed. In these times now where life don't make any sense, where I feel alone or I feel desperate, um, I pray to God and he comes into my life through his Holy Spirit. God is above us, Jesus is beside us and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us and you're not alone. You're not alone. If you're feeling suicidal, if you're feeling there's no hope, tell somebody, talk to somebody. You're in a precarious place, but the good news is there's hope. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. His arms are wide open and he loves you and he has a plan for your life. The best way out of this is through it and you will get through it. You're one prayer away from that. Don't give up, you've got hope. Apparently 10,000 people have already seen that. Isn't that wonderful? How God took hold of him. So uh, Simeon points, uh, points us to Jesus as the salvation of God. And then thirdly, the, the third thing that I notice is that um, as he takes this baby in his arms and he looks up, he sees in Jesus the light of the whole world. Look at verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the wonderful thing is that Luke, Luke was the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. All the others were Jews. And Luke had a very clear understanding that Jesus was the savior of the whole world. That Jesus came for everyone and especially for those who were despised and left out. And Luke, if you go through Luke's gospel, you'll find he again and again, he makes special reference to the sick and the suffering, to the women and the children, to the poor, to the oppressed, to publicans and sinners, Samaritans and Gentiles. And when Jesus Christ is in, at work in an area, he comes to bring this wonderful hope and salvation to everyone who turns to him. Now, I want to just finish with just two little stories that I've heard recently. Uh, the, one, the, the first one was our son, Jonathan, was, um, who's currently at Wycliffe Training. He and Lucy spent many years in the Middle East working with Muslims. And there are, an, there are amazing things going on spiritually amongst the Muslims right now. But he sent us recently a, a, a little video clip, and it was such a remarkable story. It had a profound effect on both uh, Ursula and myself. And it's about what's been happening among the Marsh Arabs. Uh, 
Um, because Saddam Hussein, uh, he drained the marshes in southern Iraq and he drove out the marsh Arabs who lived among the reeds. They lived in village communities among the reeds, tens of thousands of them. And he did this because they were opposed to him and the reeds gave cover for the insurgents. So what he did is he built vast dikes, canals, to channel the water from the Tigris and the Euphrates away from the reed land, the marshland, uh, and, in, and, and then he set fire to the reeds. He burnt all the reeds so that the whole area became one vast desert dust bowl. And the people fled and they went into the cities. And then in 2003, a wonderful thing happened. A hydrologist, uh, an Iraqi hydrologist who was studying in America, he was born in the Martians, he went back to Iraq and with his friend one night, they got a bulldozer and they bulldozed a great hole in one of the, the dikes. And the water started to flow through the dikes into the area, which was just completely desert. And as the water flowed in, then the seeds, which were dormant in the soil, they'd been dormant there for 10 years, began to spring back to life. And the reeds began to grow again. And it's absolutely extraordinary. As the reeds grew, as the water flowed, the fish returned And then as they returned, so the birds returned, and there are now pelicans and kingfishers. They've all come back. And in this particular film, there were the the Arabs. They've moved back. They're making villages again. And their whole lives are being rebuilt. So what had become complete deadness has now become their home again as the water has returned. And I thought, as I saw that, that is such a picture of Jesus Christ when he brings his life into areas of deadness. As, he, as his spirit flows, and just recently in the church that we're in, in Chipping Norton, we've bought this bank in the middle of the town, and uh, we've, we've converted it into, it's called the branch, and it's being used to serve the poor people in the neighborhood. We now, and there's a real move of the Holy Spirit going on in our market town. We meet every morning at 6 a.m. to pray, which is pretty radical actually in this country. Uh, uh, but with Zoom, you can, you, can, uh, you can come to the prayer meeting in your pajamas, it's okay. And, and, so, and as we've been praying every morning and, and every night at 6, the Holy Spirit has begun to flow, and all sorts of amazing things have happened. So I'll just tell you, and then I'll finish. The bank cost 525000 Now, we're just a small church. We've got about 80 to 90 adults in it. So we had to borrow the money from the diocese to buy the bank. Then, anonymously, a donor has given us 525000 so the bank has been paid for. We had a gift week two or three weeks ago, 
And the church family gave 317,000 in the offering. Isn't that amazing? And then another donor in one of the villages, not a Christian yet, he's given us 500,000. The rich people live in the villages around Chipping Norton. We've given out over 25,000 meals to the, to the poor who live on the estates. And one of the people who's helping us give out the, the food parcels is David Cameron. He's not yet coming to church, but he's, he's caught up in what's going on. And there's a work going on amongst women who have suffered from domestic abuse. And uh, so God is at work wonderfully. And Simeon, as he sees this baby, realizes that this Jesus Christ has come to bring salvation and is the light of the world. Now let's just bow our heads and we're going to to pray together. And I want to encourage us all, um, wherever we are in this uh, state, this pandemic, and we'll all come with very different experiences,